0: More than half of high-growth companies struggle with the sales development process. If you want your sales team to have more at-bats with decision-makers at target accounts, talk to Inside
1: Sales Team, the sales development team experts at insidesalesteam.com. You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David
0: Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. This is David Delaney with the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. Today, I have a great guest that we'll dive in with, Mr. Fred Schilmover, the CEO and founder of Inside Squared. How are you doing today, Fred? I'm great. Excited to be here. Great, great. Thank you so much. Thanks for your patience as I went through everything at the beginning. (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm just really excited. I mean, you know, as I was prepping for the call you know, it becomes more and more of a uh, subject around data. Data is everywhere, everything we're doing is tracked, everything on the sales development side is tracked. And I think the huge gap, you know, that we're finding is there's all this data being produced, but it ends up being useless for your average, you know, person running a sales development program or running a sales team. So Fred, I'm really excited to get you on the show because I know that this is a problem that you've been focused on for a while. But just in case people don't know who you are or what you've been working on, can you give us a little bit of background on Fred and, you know, how you came to start InsightSquared?
1: Yeah, absolutely, happy to. So, you know, came up with the idea uh, when I was actually working at salesforce.com. So, just a quick background of what InsightSquared is. InsightSquared is a sales intelligence company, and the sort of the easiest way to describe it is we have prebuilt all the reports you wish salesforce.com had. You know, another way to think about it is if you had the best sales operations team on the planet with limitless amounts of time, they would build all of the reports and analytics that Insight Squared has out of the box. And I realized when I had spent time earlier in my career at Salesforce that they were you know, an amazing, innovative company, well-resourced, uh, and yet had these challenges in the reporting and analytics space. And I thought that there really needed to be a dedicated standalone company that all we focus in day in, day out is how to deliver the right answers to the most important Important questions for sales and sales operations leaders.
0: Excellent. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, you know, just I kind of know enough about Salesforce to be dangerous and, and could cobble together reports and dashboards, but it's very surface level, it seems. And 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 that seems like you know you identified that several years ago, and you know set out to solve this problem. So why data and and you know why the solution that you're providing?
1: Yeah, and and just on that last point, I mean, you know, eventually what happens with the reports that you just described that you can cobble together is they get exported to Excel. And that's where folks like, you know, myself, you know, in, in my former career, sort of in analytical function, I spend all my time putting together Excel reports and, you know, incredibly time consuming, error prone, and kind of hard to read. So I, I think that that's part of the, the, the problem that we aim to resolve. And I think there's been a huge trend. I mean, sales development as a career, I think, has really taken off. There's been this huge trend over the last, I'd say, 10 years, where sales has gotten a lot more data-driven, and the reason is this broader trend in the industry that that I would characterize as consumerization of IT, meaning technology that was once only available to large companies at very high prices is getting packaged and sold, you know, more efficiently at lower prices. And what's that that's done to the sales industry is moved it largely from you know field sales with you know folks driving around cars. Cars and you know selling things face to face that still happens, but over the last 10 years it's been this huge shift to inside sales as a, as a career, as uh, sales cycles have compressed and gotten shorter, as prices for things have come down, and, and you you know you can't afford in the sales process to fly around the country and do the steak dinners and all the traditional things that that you associate with sales. So that as that cost of sales compressed and as technologies like Salesforce.com, like Insight Squared and lots of the other sales enabling technology, like, you know, we're talking over voice over IP now, that's a, that's a great example, have enabled us to do what we used to have to do face-to-face to do over the phone. And as that's happened, obviously, there's been ways of, of optimizing the process, division of labor between account executive and sales development. But in particular, inside Squared, there's just a lot more observations that we can make. So where we had no idea what the salesperson was driving around in his or her car, flying around the country was doing, we can measure very carefully the, you know, all aspects of the sales motion that we do in an inside sales shop. And because the cycles are shorter and because the cycle we're a little bit more tend to be a little bit more transactional, there's more transaction volume we're able to iterate and improve the process much more quickly. So, you know, five, 10 years ago, I don't think you actually could be as data-driven a sales organization as you can be today. You know, I used to tell people, you know, when we founded InsightSquared, so we started in 2011, and I used to tell people, today you can really differentiate against your competition by being data-driven, and at some point, it'll, be, it'll just be table stakes, and we're getting to that point where it's becoming table stakes, and if you're not a data-driven organization, you're kind of being left behind.
0: It really is, and, and I think you get, you as a sales development leader, you get into a false sense of complacency with the Salesforce reports. Because you feel like I'm getting some data here, but when I've used Insight Squared in the past, it takes it to a, another level. I mean, you can really start to dig in and go, wait a minute, that, that's weird. You know, I mean, that's kind of the reaction that you get when you look at some of your reports.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you could push in one place in the sales process and and not necessarily have the, the same reaction down the funnel. For example, you know, we used to drive our entire sales development team off of uh, one metric, this metric of meetings attended. And that's great. and we we did a lot of work to try to increase the amount of meetings attended. What we saw is when we the harder we pushed on driving meeting attendance, we would impact downstream conversion. And it's hard to see that through just sort of a, a one-dimensional uh, report. You have to have a comprehensive view of your entire sales process, and you have to see those dynamics. What, what are the key drivers uh, of, of your sales process? And for us, you know, there was a, there was a level of activity uh, pre-meeting, there was the meeting, and then there was everything that happened after the meeting. And you could see when you push really hard in one area, maybe past the point of diminishing returns, you actually negatively affect the rest of the process. So you, ne- you do need that depth of visibility. You can't just look at something from one angle.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because if, if I think about it in sales development, big picture, there's there's kind of four quadrants of, of the kind of funnel process. There's the activities that the reps are doing every day. There's the appointments, like you mentioned. And then there's the pipeline that comes out of the appointments. And then there's the revenue that closes from from those those appointments and i think that the the a majority of the sales development leadership out there they're really looking at those four metrics only on a surface level and saying how come it's not converting better you know and then they they it's very difficult to dig in and and figure out you know what ex- exactly is going on <laughs> would you agree
1: yeah and and yeah so as soon as you establish that that problem that you just described okay you know we increase the amount of meetings but we've decreased the amount of quality pipeline the next question you're going to ask is why and the way to start uh diagnosing why is to sort of you know slice and dice to see if there's a particular trend that you're seeing has you know When did this decline start? Was there a point in time where you changed a sales process or, you know, a competitor introduced a new product to the market? Or was it around the time when, you know, you hired a certain number of folks to the team, in which case you may want to start looking at it from a different perspective and slice it by tenure of team member. So, you know, really being able to look at your data from lots of different perspectives, sort of at the click of a button is important to diagnose that problem because it's a hard one to solve
0: and when you you know when you sit down with the sales development leader or whoever you know is running the sales development process at at your company how how do you guys go about building the initial hypothesis of okay here's what we think we're going to do and then we'll we'll test it with the data and that's probably a couple of years ago now you've got you've got everything all set up but how do you guys sit down and work out the goals for the sales development program and how, how do you work with the leadership to 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 build that?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean we, we come at it from from the two kind of obvious angles, top down and bottom up, meaning, you know, we have a certain revenue target for our company. And that's been set, you know, outside of the sales development process by, you know, growth needs of the business, our investors, how much we intend and spend in marketing and RD, these things all have to balance out. So, you know, we have a top-down goal that's set. We also then look at it from the bottoms up, which is based on our historical performance, what is it going to take from the team in order to meet, meet in the middle and, and hit this goal? So we look at, you know, activity ratios and we look at capacity. So you know with the with the ratios for example of call to connect and meet call and connect to meeting scheduled meeting scheduled to meeting attended so look at that defect rate or that drop off between when we schedule and actually attend and then you know when we actually enter a qualified evaluation and then win the deals we look at all those funnel funnel metrics we look at our average sale price we look at our cycle time our sales cycle and put all that together and say okay what would we need to do in terms of activity levels, so the goals, the quality of those activities so how do we maintain that downstream conversion and then the capacity you know how many people would we need we, we can't you know book 12 hours of work per day for people or, or we're going to drive our team crazy and set ourselves up for failure so there's also a capacity planning portion of this which is how many people do we need on the sales development team so we we do that process every 6 months actually so we run operating cycles every 6 months because you know, different key drivers change and we need to adapt. We need to adapt our hiring plan. Maybe we need fewer BDRs because we're doing better. Maybe we, we need to hire more people uh, on the sales development team because, you know, a downstream factor uh, changed. And a lot of times more than one thing moves. So the example I just gave you where we increase the uh, activity rate, so we increased the activity rate as a result, got more meetings, but got lower quality pipeline and had worse downstream conversion. At the same time, we had done another change in our business where we actually shifted the focus a, a little bit and uh, added larger accounts to our prospecting pool. And as a result, our average sale price went up and balanced the whole equation. So it's a, you know, essentially, it's like a 10-variable 10 var- 10 algebra equation, and our job is to, is to balance it out so that we hit that top-down number.
0: Excellent, excellent, and and this is I'm so excited to talk to you about this. This is really, I, I was really excited to get you on the show because I I think that you know your your average CEO at a high growth company you know maybe doesn't spend as much time on the sales development function. It's kind of seen as an entry level position or you know it's kind of a, an afterthought. But I, I you know obviously I run the sales development podcast, so I think that it's super critical. And it's super important, and you really have to peel back the onion in, in in the ways that you're describing to make sure that it's working correctly.
1: Yeah, I feel pretty passionately about that point. I, I think it's a mistake to say, you know, sales development function is less important, second class citizen, you know, whatever, all, all the negative things that, that you may want to say, like for us, the, we have a very promote from within culture. So when I look at, we call them BDRs, I know it could be SDRs or BDRs, but when I look at our, our, our BDRs, these are the future leaders and stars of our company. you know, point one. like if, if you look at you know our sales leadership team, it's comprised entirely of people who joined the company as a BDR or maybe as an account executive and, and then got promoted from from within. So these are the, you know to some extent some of the most important hires in the company. And then the other point is like for us, sales pipeline is is the lifeblood of the company like if we don't have sales pipeline we suffocate we die and the sales development team is at the center of pipeline generation these should be the this should be the group that we elevate and spend time with so i i know a lot of folks, you know, they've got Presidents Club, and you know, we do, we do. I take the the folks that that are high quota achievers out for dinner every quarter, and that kind of thing. But I would say I, I equally invest time. I would encourage others to invest in the folks that are coming up in the organization, especially if you have a promote from within culture.
0: I love it. I love it. I've got total. I think it's like cognitive bias or something. Like I. I... Wildly agree with everything that you're saying, and and I think it's terrific. And actually, we just did the sales development conference in September, and and that, that you know I I mirror a lot of those thoughts in the keynote. So I know that you guys just did a, a great conference. I was watching a couple of the videos. I think they were almost at the same time, but I mirror a lot of those thoughts. I completely agree. And and you know what I'm curious about is your, your average sales development manager who's who who maybe doesn't have as much support from the C-level as as a forward-thinking company like you, you know, how do you organize the people to support this every six-month analytical cycle as far as sales operations people, uh, sales BDR manager, VP of sales? How do all the people work together to get you all that information so that you can make a Decision moving forward.
1: Uh, so I, I think you mentioned sales operations. There's a reason why why ramp. So you mentioned ramp. We we held it in August. It was the first. It was the first conference focused exclusively on the sales operations profession. And I think similarly to sales development, where sometimes sales development doesn't get the credit that they deserve for the pipeline and sort of this lifeblood that I talked about they're generating, sales operations similarly doesn't get the credit they deserve for how strategically important they are to a business. And the goal of RAMP was to elevate the sales operations profession and and that career and and the folks who are in it. So at Insight Squared... Sales operations reports to finance and sales operations is at the core of this every six month cycle. It's a process that we run with our board of directors. So we we update our operating plan every six months instead of annually, the way many companies do. And the effort is led by the sales operations function that provides all of the dashboards, provides all the information in particular, make sure that the data is structured correctly. One of the mistakes that I see companies, and you know, we, we've fallen victim to this as well, making is they don't decide the questions they want to ask ahead of time. And as a result, when they want to ask them after the fact, they're unable to because the data is not there. And what that does is vastly raise the cost of asking the questions. So the way I would describe it is, you may incur a 10% operational overhead by having these discussions a priori and saying, what are the things that we're going to need to know in order to set our next operating plan? And how do we structure the data? And maybe we'll have to add a little bit of process. We have to check another box or you know, fill in another field ahead of time. That is a lot cheaper than after the fact, realizing, you know what, we have to understand... If there's a correlation between this marketing campaign being run and a higher conversion rate of of prospecting to pipeline and the data is not structured correctly, and now you have someone handpicking through 10,000 records uh, in mind-numbing exercises to answer a question that you could answer in 30 seconds, of course, with tools like Insight Squared, if you had the data structured correctly. So, you know, sales operations plays a crucial role in sort of helping with set sales strategy and then making sure the data is structured correctly so that we can support the sales and sales development team in you know in this semi-annual planning cycle but also in their day-to-day efforts you know do we have the right dashboards do we have the right push of information so midday people know if they're trending towards their activity goals do we have you know personal dashboards set up to know if people are maybe hitting their activity goals but missing the downstream conversion goals if you want we can also talk about compensation as we've done a lot of work to align our compensation with the outcomes that we want a little bit further downstream but sales operations plays a critical role as sort of a service bureau Definitely in the semi-annual planning process, but also in the sort of daily and monthly cadence uh, of, of the entire sales organization.
0: Okay, great. Now, I, I definitely want to dig in on that. Where does the BDR manager come in and, and where does the BDR organization report to? Is it sales ops, marketing, sales?
1: For us, it's sales, and it's clearly sales for us because they are the future account executives of the organization. So the way I often describe the PDR role is it's a 12 to 18 month interview. And dur- d- during that time, so for example, we we, we introduced uh, new new sale- internal sales certifications for our team recently, and we had a couple of BDR promotions at the start of the month to account exec, and they came into the job promoted, having already been certified on the early stages of the account executive program. So you know, there's joint training. There's, there's partnership. So I mentioned compensation. Our BDRs are no longer compensated just on meetings scheduled. They're actually compensated partially based on sourcing qualified opportunities as determined by the sales teams. Now they've, they've got to work in partnership. And one of the great examples of changing behavior that we generated with that is in the old world, our BDRs were Encouraged by their compensation plans, we have a great culture of of team of team play, but the compensation plan encouraged the behavior of schedule a meeting and run away because you're no longer you're no longer really incentivized of any for anything that happens downstream now, you know a BDR will schedule a meeting knowing that it's too early for it to be a qualified opportunity, but then partnering with the account executive to stay in touch on the account and collaborate such that eventually it becomes a qualified opportunity, maybe in a month or two. And it really allows us to act in service of the customers and service of the, the, the set of accounts and the set of uh, businesses that we target with our product, because now it's not just about, Getting the um, meeting—it's actually about uh, building a relationship, a sustainable relationship. So, you know, there's there's a a lot of changes that that we've made to sort of optimize how these two groups work together. For us in our organization, I believe it's critical for them to report to sales. I could see how. Someone could make an argument that the sales development function should report to marketing because it's a, it's a very tight extension of demand generation, right? You know, before this division of labor uh, happened, you know, marketing would suddenly leads to. To sales and 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 that was that that intersection point that connective tissue between the two organizations. Now the sales development team is the connective tissue between sales and marketing. So you, you I I could see how one could argue to move the line and say like, look, our job is to generate a qualified demand, whether we generate that through strictly marketing through some combination of of human assisted marketing, let's just call call it, or through outbound prospecting, we hand over qualified demand to the sales team. But I think from a career perspective, it makes it makes a ton of sense for them to feel like they are part of the sales organization and part of that part of that future career track.
0: Inside Sales Team fully integrates with clients. CEO of DiscoverOrg, Henry Shutt, partnered with us, and we've generated over 25 million in new business revenue.
1: They are firing on every best practice for running a sales development team.
0: Learn more at InsideSalesTeam.com. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there, there's uh, that's that's been kind of the. Tastes great, less filling. You probably don't know what that is, but that's old guys
1: <laughs> that are on the line. It's a, it's a constant debate that well, goes. <laughs> you happen to have caught me on my forty first birthday, so okay. I actually I I, I I do know I do know what that means.
0: <laughs> it's 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 sort of this endless debate, and I actually pushed at the sales development conference to say. That sales development should report to sales development and 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 report directly to the CEO. But I think I'm way out front on that one. I don't think anybody's picked up on that one yet. But who knows? You know, I think we're on the same page. It's it's important enough. But that there's there I that totally makes sense for for your organization. And I, I know that you have one of the best marketers out there in Joe Chernoff. I believe it's, his name is pronounced, and he does a terrific job. How how does the sales development team Work with Joe and their team in in making sure that you know nothing falls through the cracks and you know be following up on everything
1: yeah that's a great question. Joe's fantastic. We actually recently promoted him to to c m o He's helped us go through a real transformation in the way that we do marketing and it's funny to hear marketing leadership and sales leadership talk about one another because it's 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 beyond sales and marketing alignment. I think uh, we have a bit of a of a love fest here where Joe would say. By the way, we have two Joes. So Joe would say, you know, marketing is in service of sales, and what he means by that is the transition that he's led here to account based marketing, where look, we 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 serve a very specific set of businesses at Insight Squared. We serve technology companies. By and large, we, we have a lot of customers that aren't tech, but you know, Salesforce has a lot of technology companies. As a result, we do. We have some specific analytics like SaaS analytics that serve tech companies, and we serve the Salesforce.com ecosystem. So rather than just marketing to the whole world who won't necessarily benefit from our products, and by the way, we'd be wasting a lot of our airtime and marketing capital doing that, we have a really targeted set of accounts that that were that we're trying to educate about what we can do for them. So he's shifted us into this account based marketing world as a result. It's very rare now that we have a true marketing sourced or sales sourced opportunities. We actually eliminated that concept from our lexicon and you know we go out and we we work a pool of accounts together in sales and marketing. And so marketing is in service of sales when when we have a meaningful uh, connection marketing is there to support that with the right collateral and potentially, you know, direct mail or ads or or whatever other marketing techniques that we have and vice versa marketing is there educating digitally? Or you know, in the case of events, we have a huge presence at Dreamforce that encourage people to come visit us there and 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 at Saster next next February educating uh, the market and then passing that that demand off to uh, to sales and it's critical that there be an SLA established between sales and marketing such that this very valuable very expensive demand that we're generating in marketing is 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 properly uh, serviced and responded to so and vice versa you know in sales the mantra is folks we have an obligation to our marketing team for all of the work that we do to have extreme responsiveness and if you think about it why would you, as a sales development person, want to reach out to someone cold versus talk to someone that that marketing has educated and has has expressed some intent or interest? So I, I think we we've got incredible alignment, but but part of that comes to the fact that we run account based sales and account based marketing and work very hard to align the two.
0: Excellent, I I appreciate that, and it's it's interesting. We're we're actually about the same age, so but happy birthday, by the way. I missed that. Uh, You made it another year. Congratulations. But I was going to say, you know, if you've been around for a while, you know, a few years ago, a position came out called this chief revenue officer, you know, who was supposed to be in charge of the whole funnel from marketing to sales to customer success. But then when you actually in practice and you start working with them, they're usually glorified VPs of sales who just have a fancy title (laughs) because that's what you had to do to get them on board. But, you know, it seems like really forward thinking, cutting edge companies like yours that especially have a handle on the data and how it all flows. You know, it, the whole thing is kind of morphing into this one continuous, you know, I don't know what to call it. It's like a like a grist mill of of, of of accounts and people and conversations and customers and then, you know, keeping them happy, it, you know, just. Yeah, you, you know right.
1: what it is is it's the industrialization of this of sales it's the industrialization of the way in particular software companies operate mm. and it's it's a it's a maturation like we, we've gone from a world where everything is done this sort of artisan artisan craft and by by definition less efficiently to uh, realizing that there are a lot of economies of scales and efficiencies that can be gained if, if we're thoughtful about the process end to end and as in particular for recurring revenue businesses like cloud, like SaaS companies, you can't afford to, you know, sell sell shelf, shelfware a- anymore. You have to think about the the customer end to end. And I I, th- I I get your point about the CRO becoming, a, you know, a a point of conversation, but not a real thing. I, I agree with you. I think that there's a fundamental different skill set between a sales leader and a marketing leader behind the, the the work that marketing does and the the work that that sales does. Sales is much more human capital intensive. That adds to my point about why sales development should sit with sales. In marketing, it's less human capital intensive. There's a big creative component. Uh, there's a big quantitative component. There's quantitative in both, but it, it's you know a lot of marketing is also about you know the, the systems and and sales is moving in that direction. But they're fundamentally different different skills. And I think the idea behind the CRO as a head of sales and marketing. What was really behind that, it was just a really simple way of expressing the fact that sales and marketing need to be aligned. And marketing could no longer be about brand and you know marcom and and that type of thing. With the advent of digital marketing, marketing has become part of that same like you said, gristmill, I'll, I'll call it assembly line. And and I think I think customer. Uh, you know I'll say something. I'm not sure everyone would agree with. I'd say I think customer success is is this is the same thing. I don't believe customer success is a discrete department. I don't believe that you should have two revenue organizations in the same business, you know, one managing new business, one managing renewals. But what I do believe is the fact that customer success is growing as a movement is underscoring the fact that you can't, you have to think about the entire customer lifecycle and the fundamental job of sales will change. You know, our our sales teams sit in groups and pods, we call them, with our customer success managers. Our account executives are compensated on leading indicators of customer retention. Our sales managers are comp- compensated on uh, net ARR added, not just on how much how many new logos or how much new dollars did you sell, but how did you how much did you sell on top of whatever you lost. So I think that's another example, like the CRO, where there was an idea or a movement that that, that came out to symbolize the fact that you know marketing was changing and it has to be aligned with sales and sales has to change in that we have to think about the entire customer life cycle and building long-term relationships
0: yeah exactly i mean it just reminds me i always talk about this on the show but the the goal by Elihu goldrath or whatever his name is it's it's the you know theory of constraints and and really what's the what's the end goal it's a, it's for a business not to be crass, but it's to bring in the bucks and be able to report back that we're bringing in the bucks and we're going in up and to the right so if if there are constraints which the connective tissue is broken between these things, the goal is to remove those constraints and so it's it's a becomes a revenue process it, everyone's going to get. You're still going to get your VP title. You're still going to be VP of Sales, VP of Marketing, VP of Customer Success. Don't worry, we're not going to take that away from you. But if you look at it from, you know, uh, the big picture point of view, how do we remove the constraints throughout the process and keep moving the revenue up and to the right? And and in that in that way, we kind of have to blow up the silos that that you know are have are their legacy. They, they they don't fit in anymore, in especially in the world that you play in.
1: So. Yeah, the whole the whole assembly line has to work in in order. Actually, something you just uh, mentioned resonated with me. One of our investors once said to me, "Fred, businesses only fail for one reason, that they run out of cash." So yes, at the at the end of the day, that 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 is our collective job. All right,
0: very good, Fred. This has been so interesting. I, I I know that you mentioned. I want to ask you what's next for you, what you're excited about, and what you're working on right now. You mentioned a couple of big events that are coming up. What's coming up? What are you excited about? What's next for you?
1: One of the things I'm most excited about is a new product that we've announced called Signals. And uh, it relates to our conversation in the sense that rather than forcing people to go into the system and ask the question, we're going to ask the system the question and push the answer. And it's all around enabling people to do their job better with less work. So the product is called Signals. It's pushing pushing, uh, insights out of our application, rather than having to have you go in and and search. And I think that is sort of, we're seeing this evolution of analytics go from, you know, the very simple spreadsheet or spreadsheet-like analysis to the deeper analysis that Insight Squared has become uh, known for to you know not necessarily artificial intelligence i think that label is slapped on things a, a, a little bit too often but this idea where the apps enable you to do your job better and push information to you that's something i'm 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 incredibly excited about you know also we launched a product you know less than a year ago called slate which is taking off for us which is, expands the ability of Insight squared for customers to write reports and do analytics that are perhaps not covered in our library. They're idiosyncratic to their business that they want to expand to other data sources that, that, you know, other than Salesforce.com, like their marketing system, like their finance system, like their customer service system. So we have a lot of product expansion th- that we're doing that I'm pretty excited about. And, you know, overall company and, and team development, th- this is our biggest presence at, at Dreamforce. You know, last year we were a bronze sponsor, this year we're a platinum, gold, and silver sponsor sponsor. So I, I think that that's symbolic of the progress that we're making as a company. So uh, pretty excited about that.
0: That's super exciting. And and you, you made me think, I got one other question for you. When should someone bring in a sales ops person at their company? Is there, is it, when is it too early, too late at, you know?
1: That's a fantastic question, and i think it's I think it's fantastic because the, the answer is changing dramatically and this is again, it goes back to one of the reasons why we started the ramp community, why we you know had a conference that was focused on sales operations. you know five ten years ago, we didn't see the the volume of of, of folks in sales ops that we do now, and we certainly didn't see them in in earlier stage companies so I, I think there are two factors that I would consider as to when to bring in sales operations one is you know the scale and complexity that you are today and two is where do you think you're headed so you know at a certain scale when your processes are, are complex enough when you have this division of labor so if you have a you know a marketing demand gen a sales development and account executive team there's instrumentation and, and systems that need to be put in place to make sure that you're getting you're setting your team up for success and you're getting the right amount Of return on on a very expensive investment, so I I think if if your system, if your sales operating system is complex enough, that that's that's one measure or sort of vector along which you should evaluate whether or not you need sales operations. The other one is where do you want to go? So if you're a more stable company, it's really about that 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 first vector. If you're a growth oriented company, we're seeing a lot uh, of technology companies, especially if they've you know raised outside capital, where you know. Even a $2 million ARR company that's raised venture capital, they intend to be a 10 and 20 and 50 million ARR company as soon as possible. And they want to build the foundation and groundwork today to do that. So we're seeing, especially at firms that are trying to scale up, them bringing sales operations and that sort of that, that discipline earlier on in the process. Right.
0: Break off, break off one headcount, at least, for some brilliant – sales ops person because it's, I almost look at it like a, you know, a navigator on a ship and, you know, you're out in the middle of the ocean <laughs> and you're like, Hey, where are we supposed to go? And, you know, everyone's all these sales guys who, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, they're not super analytical. I mean, they're, they're about building relationships. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being a stereotype, but they're about building relationships and they're going, which way do we go? How do we put the sail up? What? <laughs> Why are we bail water here? And it seems crazy to me that if you're beyond, you know, two, three salespeople and a couple of BDrs, that you wouldn't have a dedicated sales ops person. But it's it's still out there. People people try to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's changing. And and we yeah. talked at our conference a lot about you know sales and sales operations kind of traveling in pairs and being that 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 yin and yang to one another. And that that's a that that's a partnership we're seeing more and more now.
0: It is. Fred, this has been so informative. I think everyone will gain a lot of value from the conversation. We want to go out and check out Slate, check out Signals, and come and see you guys at Dreamforce. You're taking over, so we'll
1: see you there. It's going to be great. Thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye.